The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, o Lord. Lord. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, in the strength of your spirit, tune our hearts to listen for you. Sharpen our minds that we might understand you and fuel our hopes that we might long for you. We pray in your name. Amen. So my pastor had a big influence on me when I was growing up. His name was Waldemar Streufert. <laughs> Waldemar Streufert. I grew up in a congregation that worshipped in two languages, and there are lots of congregations that, that do that. And Pastor Streufert, when he would get excited in preaching, would sometimes forget which language he was, he was speaking in that moment. His, his birth language was German, but he spoke, he spoke English quite well. But sometimes when he was preaching, the other thing about him is he was terribly shy, terribly shy. But he was very fervent in his faith. In our church, there was a pulpit high up on the wall. And Pastor Streufert would go up there to preach. And when that fervor would really get a hold of him, he would look higher and higher at the ceiling, <laughs> wouldn't look at you, 
he'd be looking at the ceiling. And sometimes when he was looking at the ceiling, I noticed that's when all of a sudden he would flip over into German before he caught himself. He wore a black cassock and a white surplice. That was the custom in those days, along with his stole. He was a very dignified man and approached worship with that sense of reverence and dignity. And two things made a deep, deep impression on me. One, one was something that he would do at the celebration of Holy Communion. He had a beautiful voice, he would chant. And when we got to the communion liturgy, he would be chanting the dialogue back and forth, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Um, and um, then he would move into this praise. It is our duty. And at the end of that, as he was chanting, he would, he would lift his eyes heavenward, as he would say, therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy holy name evermore, praising thee and singing. And then we would all join him in the singing of the great song of the cherubim before the throne of God, holy, holy, holy Lord. And as we began the chant, Pastor Streifert, with his cassock and surplus, surplus looked like it had wings. He would fold those wings and bow as he sang, holy, holy, holy. There was something about that that evoked in me, even as a small child, a powerful sense of the mystery of God's presence that evoked for me a sense of awe, a sense of awe in the presence of God. But something else he said, this was something he said to us before we were taking our first communion. In those days in my congregation, we did not commune until we had been confirmed. And so I had my first Holy Communion when I was 14 years old on Maundy Thursday. And on Palm Sunday, we were confirmed. So just at the beginning of Holy Week, we were confirmed, and then First Communion on Maundy Thursday. And Pastor Streifert sat us down after the service on Palm Sunday because he wanted us to be thinking about something before we received our First Communion. And he read these words to us from the Apostle Paul's first letter to Corinth, the 11th chapter. He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat the bread 
or drink the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. We were 14 when we heard that, getting ready to receive the sacrament for the first time. Pastor Steufert then explained to us that this was not about understanding the doctrine of the sacrament, this business of discerning the body. Instead, we were to examine ourselves to see whether we discerned the body of Christ among us. What he stressed was that Jesus is present in the community, which is the body of Christ, and especially present with those who suffer, especially present with those who are broken. And he said, our proper preparation for Holy Communion is to make sure we are tending to one another in our brokenness in mutual ways. I didn't understand that so much when I was 14. I have a different perspective now. But that word evoked for me an experience of fear. An experience of fear in the presence of God. The same servant of God helped me develop a sense of awe in the presence of God. But that same servant also led me to a place where I could experience fear in the presence of the judge of all. Hmm. We don't much like fear as a part of our life together. At least we haven't thought much about it. I wonder if we are taken either by awe or by fear when we come to church. Mostly what I think a lot of us Lutherans are afraid of is that the coffee will all be gone at the end of church before we get there and get a cup. And mostly our experience of awe has to do with beautiful sunrises or sunsets, but not so much in church, not so much in church. In fact, I think that in church, we mostly suffer from a very acute case of boredom. Huh? I think as I serve congregations throughout the New England Synod, what I am reminded of is that as a community, as communities of faith, we struggle with boredom in worship. And we struggle with what to do with it. And mostly we are not very honest with one another about that, I don't think. 
Well, sometimes we are. But mostly what I hear is that the kind of expressions of boredom that come out of the community have to do with either, well, the liturgy is boring. The liturgy is boring. Or, that pastor is boring. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll sign up for that. <laughs> we, we talk about boredom as if it were somebody else's fault, as if it was the responsibility of another. Come on. When your grandkids or kids say to you, Dad, I'm bored, you gotta be thinking, what? I'm supposed to fix that? Right? Mm-hmm. And all too often what we do is we respond to that boredom with entertainment. That's our culture, isn't it? Screens, whatever. And we expect that to be a part of worship, too. So that's a part of who we are in American culture. Here's a preacher who wanders around and talks to you. That's something that Pastor Streufer never did. So, one of the reasons I took up this series of texts from Hebrews to preach on while I was among you is that I think that this boredom is addressed right here in today's reading. I think that, like fatigue, this weariness the writer talks about, like this sense of nostalgia, the kind of nostalgia that is a pining for the past because everything was better way back then, like those two things, boredom. Boredom robs our worship of a sense of expectancy. Worship, boredom robs our worship of a sense of expectancy. We no longer expect very much when we gather as a community for worship and praise. We no longer expect God, the living God, who is a consuming fire, to be present among us with all of the life and power and challenge of God. I think as communities, we have lost sight of that. The preacher who wrote this wonderful sermon that we're listening to from Hebrews, I think she recognized a similar kind of problem within her community because fatigue and pining for the past lead to a kind of boredom in the present which de-energizes us. I think she was addressing that problem. And so in today's reading from Hebrews, which is hard to understand, is it not? In today's reading from Hebrews, she offers us an image of worship. That's what's going on here, and I want to talk to you about that for just a moment. What she sets up for us is a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. She says 
to her community, her congregation, as they gather for worship on a Sunday morning, she says to them, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. And then she develops those, that contrast by relying on the story of the, uh, of the encounter of the people of Israel with God at Mount Sinai, which is recorded in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. I encourage you to read it. Once the Israelite slaves are freed from Egypt, led through the Red Sea by Moses, they go and camp around the mountain where God commands them to purify themselves over a course of six days, and then God will speak to them. But they themselves are not to come up on the mountain. Only Moses is permitted to do that. They are, God does say after this period of six days, they can approach more closely. But then we hear this from chapter uh, 20 of Exodus. This is, so after God speaks with Moses and delivers to Moses the Ten Commandments, the people are hearing all of this going on. And it says, when all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. And so she sets up this contrast. She says, this, this is what the worship of Mount Sinai is like. Let this person who has been sick for 18 years and bent over not come for healing on the Sabbath in the gathering of the worshiping people of God. Let her come the other six days of the week. Hmm. Mount Sinai, the, the, this is contrasted with Mount Zion, which in the preacher's imagery is an image of the future, an image of humanity regathered as a new humanity and a new kind of community. And so she sets up these contrasts, fear, awe, distance, unfettered access, terrifying word, gracious word, the blood of Abel, the blood of Jesus, past and future. Sinai and Zion are extended metaphors for, for very different kinds of encounter with God. And she says to her congregation, she says to her congregation that as we gather for worship and praise, we who believe in Jesus are coming into a reality which is not perceptible to the senses because it is essentially the future, the city of God, the city of the living God leaking into our present from the future leaking into our present from the future. 
she encourages us and her community to recognize that the worship gathering is the vehicle God has chosen to encourage us with glimpses of the future, with glimpses, with tastes and smells of the future. And she depicts Mount Zion in, in wonderful imagery. It would be great to spend time with you going through all of those things, but to just summarize, she thinks she, Mount Zion is for her the new city, the new city of God, which is a place of sacred assembly. It is ruled by God alone through Christ as priest and victim. This is, this is her image of the future which we glimpse in worship. There's a wonderful hymn in the hymnal, Now the Silence. Do you know this hymn? Now the silence, now the peace. Huh? Do you know that hymn? It's a wonderful hymn. It's, a, it's not a normal hymn in terms of the structure of its poem. It's a series of images. The poet, whose name was Yaroslav Vaida, I'll give you $5 if you can say that three times fast. Yaroslav Vaida. Pastor Vaida was thinking one morning, this is the story that he told, he was shaving before going to church. And he was thinking about the problem of boredom in worship. He was thinking about how one might address that. And he was thinking about the connection between boredom and what to expect in worship. And so he decided to write a hymn. And his intention was that the hymn be sung as the first hymn in the service, or be sung at home before going to church. Because he said, what that'll do is it'll give you a bucket. It'll give you a bucket. He said, we don't come to church with buckets anymore, empty buckets expecting those buckets to be filled. We don't do that. We just come with empty coffee cups, expecting them to be filled. But he said, no, we need, we need to prepare for worship. We need to examine ourselves and bring a bucket, knowing that the God we are about to encounter is for us not against us. On the day of my confirmation, pastor preached a short sermon, Pastor Steufert, which was unusual. And he said to us, he, he gave us all Bibles, and said, I give you these Bibles to read. <laughs> not to put on a shelf next to your shoes. I give you these Bibles to read. And he said, here's the gift. Here's the way to open the gift and use it. The way to open the gift and to use it is when you open the scriptures, when you hear the scriptures, when you study the scriptures, expect that God has something to say 
expect that God has something to say. Sometimes God will have something to say that you experience as directed at you in very powerful ways. Sometimes you will hear what God has to say addressed to us as a community in very powerful ways. But what he said was, bring that sense of expectancy to your reading. For the mouth of the Lord has not only spoken, but the mouth of the Lord will speak. Our God is a consuming fire. She concludes her encouragement of the community that gathers for worship by recognizing that the God, the God they encounter in worship is a God of passion, a God of consuming passion, a God whose love for us burns with passion, a passion that consumes the dross of our lives, a passion that catches us up in God's own imagination for tomorrow. God meets us here, the God who is a consuming fire, the God who is love, passion, burning love, the God who promises to be waiting for us just over the horizon. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.